All right. Who here was here in August when we had Bill Davis speak? He shared his testimony. Raise your hand high. All right. That is not enough of you. Well, he is back tonight. He is going to share a little bit of his testimony, and then we're going to make available to you his full testimony on CD here in the next few weeks. So our speaker is Bill Davis. He's been traveling for 41 years nationally and internationally, has an amazing testimony of how God absolutely impacted his life. Um, And so while his testimony is powerful, there's a lot more that's deep in him that he has to share about what the Lord's been doing. And so we welcome Bill Davis. Thank you. So, Lord, we lift up Bill Davis to you and thank you for the opportunity that we have to have him here with us this evening. Bless his message and let it hit our hearts just where it needs to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Boy, it's good to be back at Communitas. This has to be one of my absolute favorite places to come to. It's really funny. I, uh, my wife had spoken to me a couple weeks ago before we left Florida, and she said, Bill, I really would love to go to Communitas, even if we're not speaking, just to go. That's, that's pretty cool. She's sitting back here. My, my nickname for her is Babelicious. <laughs> but uh, she said, I really would like to go to Communitas, and I said, well, let's just pray. The Lord wants us to do that. We'll get a Tuesday that's open. And uh, I had something booked tonight at St. John's uh, uh, University up by St. Cloud. And I got a call from the my host, and he said, Bill, I, uh, I want to call Paul Anderson and see if you can go to Communitas that Tuesday night. And you can go to St. John's another time. And I thought, well... Let me think about it. Okay. (laughs) So that's what we're doing here tonight. The Lord opened the door for us to be here. Uh, Let me survey one more time. How many of you have not heard my personal testimony? Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. (sighs) Well, I'm going to share a little bit of it. Is that all right? Um, March 17th, 1972, most of you weren't even a glimmer in anybody's eye at that time. Um, at that time I was 25 years old and for seven years prior to that, I had spent four and a half of those years in prison. I was a bank robber. I was a professional thief. I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. You name it, I did it. Short of murder. I didn't murder anyone, thank God. I could have, but I didn't. And I thank God for that to this day. I carried a loaded gun into supermarkets. Easily could have shot somebody in one of those stores. I was not a nice person. How many of you agree? Okay. Now you look up here and you see this radiant smile. <laughs> that night, March 17th, St. Patty's Day, by the way, and I'm half Irish. So, you know, the Lord, the Lord had to do something on St. Patty's Day for me. And uh, I was on my way to commit suicide. I was going to overdose with drugs. I had met a, an evangelist in California named Arthur Blessed. Has anybody ever heard of Arthur Blessed? man that walks with a cross. He's got 62,000 miles walking, carrying a cross. He's an amazing man. He was the evangelist of Sunset Strip. And I stumbled into his coffee house in California, high on LSD. I thought it was a rock and roll joint. Serious. So I went in there thinking I was going to hear this rock and roll band. And this dude with long hair and a flowered shirt and jeans turns around, looks at me, and 
points his finger at me and he goes, Jesus loves you. I went, oh God, I'm in a church. (laughs) On acid. (laughs) Not a good thing. And I, this literally happened to me. I turned to leave the building out the front door that I'd just come through. And I felt somebody tugging on my belt. And I turned around to slap the hand away and there was nobody there. And I thought it was the acid. I thought it was the LSD. So I turned to walk out again, and it happened again. And this time I got paranoid. And if you know anything about LSD, you'll get paranoid on LSD. And paranoia hit me like a ton of bricks. And I started walking backwards into the room, thinking I could get out the back door. I got to the back door, and it was chained shut. You can't do that nowadays because of fire code, but they had the door chained shut. Captive audience. I can't get out the front. I can't get out the back. I have a guy with a 10-foot finger telling me Jesus loves me. (laughs) I thought, man, i got to get away from this. And the only thing I could see to get away from that downstairs area was level two. And level two was a circular stairs going up, and it said to sign, Red Room. And so I trudge up the stairs. I open the door to this circular room at the top of the stairs, and I step in and close the door behind me, and it was a red room. Had a red floor, red walls, red ceiling, red table, red Bible. And I've told people since then, never go in a red room on acid. (laughs) Because the floors started bleeding, the walls started bleeding. I can't find the handle to get back out of the door. I can't find it anywhere. So I sat down on the floor and started tripping off into this acid. I had accidentally taken four speed lace doses of acid. And at that time, that would be a hundred doses today. So I was I was gone, I was cooked, and uh, I just sat down on the floor and crossed my legs and laid my head back on this red wall and decided I was going to drown in the blood. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> and the door opens, and standing there with his ten foot fingers, Arthur Blessed. <laughs> now, nobody in California. Nobody knew my real name, not a soul. And when the door opened and Arthur Blessed stood there, he said, Bill. He called me by my first name. He said, Bill, God's hand is on you to preach the gospel. Not true story. I looked at him and his face was melting and he was growing fangs. And I thought he's going to eat me. Serious. But he walked over. Now I'm hour and a half into a twelve hour minimum speed rushed acid trip. And he laid his hand on my shoulder, and this is what he said Jesus, take this drug from him. Instantly, bam, it was gone. 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 I had no more hallucinations. The speed rush was gone. (laughs) Tears running down my cheeks. And he says, I have a scripture for you. He said, it's Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And when he said that, he said, God's called you to preach. And I looked at him and I said, Man, you just don't know. I'm in so much trouble. I didn't realize how much trouble I was in. But I went with him that night and turned myself into the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department because I was wanted in Florida for 161 warrants. Did you hear what I just said? 161 felony warrants, of which I probably did 140 of them. Because I was a burglar. I was a safe cracker. So I did those burglaries. So I got back to Florida three weeks later. And they read all the warrants they had for my arrest. And 
the jailer looked at me and he said, do you know how many years you're facing in prison? And I said, no. He said, you're facing 920 years in prison. And you've got Judge Amidon, who's the hanging judge. And he's the judge I had the first time I got in trouble. And he threatened me never to come in his courtroom again. And I just knew I was gone for the rest of my life. But Arthur Blessed started praying for me. He wrote me three letters. In each letter, he quoted Isaiah 61, verse 1. Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He would underline different parts of it. <laughs> and the last letter I got from him was the day I was to face that judge. His name was Judge Amidon. So I put that letter in my back pocket because it said, Bill, we've got a hundred prayer groups praying for you all over Southern California. God's going to do a miracle. Well, I thought the only miracle God could do was kill Judge Amidon. <laughs> I walk in, and he's alive and well sitting on the bench, 86 years old, and very angry. <laughs> And, and I was hoping to get 25 years in prison. But remember that letter said God was going to do a miracle. Now, how many of you know you don't earn miracles? You can't buy a miracle? You, you can't come up to me and say, Bill, if I give you $1,000, will you give me a miracle? No, I don't have one in my pocket. Okay, miracles are gifts. It's a gift from God. I didn't deserve that gift. I'm telling you, I know I did not deserve mercy. I didn't deserve grace. But then again, nobody does. You can't earn it. It's by grace that men are saved. Through faith, lest that man turn around and say, look what I've done. It's nothing you can do, nothing I can do. It's God's grace and his mercy and his gift. And I stood before that judge that day, and my lawyer looked at me, and he said, get ready for this. I said, what? I thought he was going to give me 20 years instead of 25. He said, he's going to give you two years in the state penitentiary, drop all the rest of the charges against you, including your probation, which I had a five-year probation sentence. Now, you may not understand court systems, that's a miracle. I knew it was a miracle. And I did my two years in the state penitentiary in the state of Florida. And uh, people ask me, well, is prison good for rehab? No, it's not. It's good to learn how to do more crime. And that's what I learned while I was in there. I learned where the money was at. And that I had been wasting my time doing what I was doing. And crime was still rampant in my heart. You say, you didn't convert? No, I didn't convert. That didn't happen until March 17th. On my way to commit suicide. I did my two years. By the way, a guard came up to me in prison. He said, I don't know who you are. He said, but I got a scripture for you, boy. It's Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord's upon me to preach good news. And I, I said, you know, some dude in California told me the same thing. <laughs> and I got out of prison, and I really, really wanted to get my act together. I did not like being locked up. You know, people ask me, what's the worst thing about prison? Everything. Everything's bad. I, I wouldn't recommend going there. And uh, I don't think. Too many of you in this room have plans to go there, so we're pretty safe. But I got out. I tried to get a job. On every application, have you been convicted of a felony? And if you lie, you're going to get fired. So I said, no, I, I have been convicted of a felony. I'm sorry, we can't hire you. I couldn't even get a job picking fruit. And it started pouring down rain in Lakeland, Florida, where I was at. And I was in the park bench. It started raining, and I said, forget this. I know how to get some money. And I went out and burglarized a business. 
and decided to leave and head to California. And I flew out to Los Angeles, California, went up in the Hollywood Hills and burglarized a security company. That sounds funny, doesn't it? So why would you burglarize a security company? Because they have guns. And I stole two guns, and I went out the next day and pulled an armed robbery in the supermarket. I robbed two supermarkets the next day. That's where the cash was back then. I robbed a bank the next day. In 18 days, I had robbed 17 places. I was trying to get money together to get out of the country. I went in to rob the 18th place. <laughs> Standing there was this old man, about my age now, boy, young man. And, <laughs> and I walked up and laid my pistol on the counter, covered it with my hand, and I said, put all that, he was counting money. I said, put all that money in a bag. And he turned around and he looked at me and he says, well, I can't give you this money. It's not mine. I said, well, maybe he didn't see the gun, so I let him see the gun. I said, put the money in the bag. He said, no, but I'll loan you some if you need it. I said, what? <laughs> Give me the money or I'll shoot you. And he threw his hands up in the air like this. And I thought, well, now we're getting somewhere. And he goes, praise the Lord. <laughs> The minute the bullet hits me, I'll be home with Jesus. That gun starts shaking. Tears running down my cheeks. I thought I've e either met the bravest or the dumbest man on the face of the earth. <laughs> I jammed that three fifty seven Magnum back in my pants. Thank God it didn't go off. My children, thank God it didn't go off. <laughs> <laughs> I love telling my story to people that hadn't heard it. They just sit there going, you did what? <laughs> the next morning, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department kicked the door down to my apartment, came and asked me very sweetly, would you like to go to jail? <laughs> Come on, guys. They beat the tar out of me, and they took me to jail. And they charged me with 11 counts of armed robbery. They were going to charge me with three federal counts, but I had so many counts against me in the state, the federal prosecutor decided to defer me to the state of California because he knew I was going to prison for the rest of my life. So I had 11 armed robbery charges. They put me in a jail cell at 4 o'clock in the morning in the old county jail in Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles. And they put me in the maximum security unit of the jail. And the guy in the next cell knocked on the wall at 4 o'clock in the morning. He said, what are you in for? I said, well, 11 counts are armed robbery. What are you in for? He said, 27 counts of murder and conspiracy to murder. His name was Charles Manson. I was in the next cell next to Charles Manson for the next four months while I was waiting to go to trial for 11 counts of armed robbery. And people say, well, what was Charles Manson like? Demon-possessed. I didn't believe in the real devil till I met Charles Manson. I really didn't believe there was a real devil. I just thought it was a figment of people's imagination and that they made the devil up to excuse their wrongdoings. Well, the devil made me do it. Well, I have to tell you, when I met Charlie, I knew for sure there was a real devil. You say, well, what did you do with him? Were you afraid of him? No, I had three inches of steel between me and him. So I wasn't afraid of him. He couldn't melt steel. But I played chess with him every day and beat him. <laughs> it's a true story. We, we, uh, we were taking bets whether Charlie was going to get the death penalty which he eventually got the death penalty and was commuted to life. And I was going to get 11 life sentences. And Charlie said, you, you're going to get no less than 25 to life 11 times over. 25 to life is a long time. And um, Charlie could have gotten out quicker than I could have. It's a true story because they commuted his to life. 
every seven years he would have come up for parole. I wouldn't have come up for parole for 25 years. And uh, so I sat there, and I, I was determined that's where I'm going. I'm going to prison. Must be something I, I want because I keep doing this stupid stuff. And uh, it came time to go to court. Well, Arthur Blessett had visited me in the jail, and he brought me a Bible and underlined Isaiah 61, verse 1. And he kept saying, God's called you to preach. And I said, man, you're out of your ever-loving mind. <laughs> go help someone else. I'm a mess. And I walked into the courtroom in California, in Firestone County, California. And I walked in where I had done about five of those robberies. And I walked into court. My lawyer came up to me, and he was smiling and laughing. And I said, what are you laughing about? He said, look in the back of the courtroom. And I turned around, and I looked, and there was Arthur Blessing waving at me. Praise the Lord. (laughs) I turned to my lawyer, and I said, what's that all about? He said he went to the judge, quoted some scripture out of Isaiah 61, told the judge you had a call of God to preach, you were just a big mess. Could you, could you please be lenient with this young man? He said he's got a great future ahead of him. <laughs> and the judge gave me a year in the county jail and dropped all the rest of the charges. Now listen to me, and if you've got any law students in here, you're probably crawling out of your skin. I know what I deserved. Don't don't sit there and say, I wheedled the system. I didn't. I was ready to take 125 to life sentence if I could have negotiated it. But God had something in mind. Do you know, I know why God did that. Would you like to know why? I'll tell you why right now. Because God wanted me here at Communitas tonight. To tell you about God's grace and God's mercy. Well, I got out of jail a year later. I wrote Arthur Blessed a letter. I said, I want to go to your halfway house. I wrote the date down wrong that I was getting out. I got out the night before I wrote it down in the letter. There was nobody there to meet me. I tried to make a long-distance collect call to San Bernardino, and they wouldn't accept the collect charges. So I went up in the Hollywood Hills and burglarized the business that night. Now you can give up on me. And I said, I'm getting out of California. I went out hitchhiking after I did this burglary. I had stolen credit cards on me. I got picked up by some hippies that were going to Texas. And buy drugs. We got stopped at the border in Laredo, Texas. They searched the van. Guess who got arrested? Stolen credit cards from California. How many of you know you don't mess with Texas? (laughs) Ask Walker, Texas Ranger. (laughs) You just don't mess with Texas. And I knew, man, I'm gone. The minute they find out my record, I'm done. And my record was all over the FBI recording list. I sat there for three weeks. Never saw a judge. Never saw a lawyer. Never was arraigned. Nothing. At the end of three weeks, the jailer came to me and he said, get all your gear together. I said, why? He said, "Uh, you're being released. All charges have been dropped. And I didn't argue with him. I didn't protest and say, but, but. I said, thank you very much. And I walked out of that Texas jail, and I looked up in the big blue Texas sky, and I said, look here, God, whoever you are, I give you my word from this day forward, I will never steal another thing as long as I live. And I've kept my word to this very day. Yeah. Yeah. I called my dad in Florida. They moved back to Florida from Indiana. And I said, uh, what do you think I ought to do? He said, well, you talking about this guy telling you how to call a God to preach. Why don't you go see your Uncle Harold? He's a preacher. I said, well, call him. Tell him I'm on my way. 
took me a week to hitchhike to Spencer, Indiana. I knocked on my uncle's door. He opened the door and fainted. I said, why did he faint? Well, I had let my hair grow into a ponytail. I had a great big hippie beard, and I said, what's up, Unc? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> my aunt come running out of the kitchen, screamed bloody murder, thought a crazed hippie had killed Uncle Harold. <laughs> I said, I'm your nephew, Billy. Didn't Dad call? Your Billy? Last time he'd seen me, I had a burr haircut and was in the Air Force. <laughs> That's a whole other story there. But, but uh, I, I got kicked out of the Air Force for threatening to shoot my superior officer. How many of you know you don't do that? <laughs> but for the next three days, all my uncle could say was, cut your hair, shave your beard, and maybe Jesus can love you. How, anybody here fish? You're from Minnesota. I'm sure you do. Do you clean the fish before you catch them? You can't. They got to be caught first. My uncle was trying to clean a fish that wasn't caught yet. And, and I resisted that. I said, no, nah, I'm, I'm out of here. And I got a job with a rock and roll band, traveling with a rock and roll band. And we were getting loaded on drugs every day. You see, I promised God... I wouldn't steal. I didn't mention drugs. And I was getting high on every kind of drug you can imagine, including heroin. And we ended up, they got signed to a national contract with a management group in Florida, where I was from. <laughs> I went with them. I got hired as the roadie manager for five rock and roll bands. Moved in with the manager and his wife. They were full-blown heroin addicts and I started using heroin with them but I started getting sick I started getting where I couldn't eat every time I'd eat I'd get either vomiting or diarrhea I lost weight I got down to where I weighed about 130 pounds my left leg today weighs 130 pounds But I was there for about two and a half months, and I was high as I could be on drugs one night. I was there at the apartment by myself, and the phone rang, and it was my sister. And my sister said, Bill, you don't sound good. And I said, yeah, I've been pretty sick. Well, she hung up, and about 30 minutes later, the phone rang. It was my dad. Now, my dad and mom were not Christians. I was not raised in a Christian environment. Didn't know anything about Christianity. Jesus was a curse word in my family. That was it. But when my dad got on the phone, he said three things to me that floored me. First thing he said is, son, I love you. Your mother and I love you. I hadn't heard my father say he loved me since I was eight years old. Second thing he said, we want you to come home. That was the farthest thing I ever thought I'd hear from my dad. And the third thing he said, he said, your mother and I have been praying for you. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we inherited Grandma's Bible. And we found a story in Luke fifteen eleven about the prodigal son. And we decided to start praying for our prodigal son. Do you know how many parents prayed for their drug-addled children in the early 70s that got set free and brought to Jesus? Jesus heard the cries of all those parents. And he sent answers in the form of revival. Listen to me. I believe there's a cry going up right now for young people all over the world. God, rescue them. I moved home. My dad got me a job working at the trucking company he was head of security for. I went to work, got my first paycheck March 16th. 1972, I bought a fifth of Jack Daniels whiskey and a carton of Winston cigarettes. True. I went out and drank the whole fifth that night. I don't remember coming home, but I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning in my bed at their apartment, and there was blood all over the bed, soaked on my pillow. And I had vomited, and I vomited up blood. Drinking the whiskey had perforated an ulcer that I had in my stomach. I didn't know it until I went to the emergency room and the doctor x-rayed me 
maybe drink this white barium stuff. Any of you medical students will know what that is. And uh, took x-rays of my stomach, and he said, we got to do surgery. I said, what do you mean? He said, you'll die in 48 to 72 hours if we don't do surgery. And I looked at him and said, I don't want the surgery. He said, what do you mean? I said, I don't have anything to live for. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I barely got family that can tolerate me. I couldn't count my friends on one hand. And I said, I got nothing to live for. And I walked out of that hospital. I went over to Tampa, Florida, went to the rock manager's house, got $1,000 worth of heroin from his refrigerator, got me an outfit, went out to my car, started writing a suicide note to my parents, and I decided to drive back to where they lived in Arbondale, Florida, from Tampa, Florida. And I'm in my car driving through Lakeland, Florida, when I came around this curve at Lakeland, Florida under this train trestle, and on the right-hand side was an old biker beer bar where I used to drink. Only a church had bought that and converted it to a Christian coffee house called Youth with a Vision. (laughs) And as I drove by, the only night they ever did this was that night they built a bonfire outside. And they were singing like we were singing up here a while ago. They were singing the song Alleluia. And I heard that music. And it came in my car. And I was stunned. I'd never heard anything like that before. Don't tell me worship doesn't touch people's hearts. It touched mine. I pulled my car over. I got out of my car. I leaned up against the hood of my car. And I listened to him singing. And all of a sudden this 18-year-old kid stood up. And he said, Jesus is here to set people free. And I thought, oh, man, it's a church. (laughs) i got to get in my car. And I turned to get in my car when this other guy stood up. He was the director of that coffee house. And he said, uh, in the last days, God's going to pour out of his spirit on all flesh. He said, it doesn't matter what your flesh has done. You could be a drug addict, an alcoholic, an ex-convict, a bank robber. I qualified for everything. (laughs) And he said, if you need help, ask us to pray for you. So the meeting broke up. This 18-year-old kid came walking by. And uh, long-haired, freaky-looking hippie kid, you know. (laughs) I grabbed him by the arm. and Probably rather forceful. I said, come here. Pray for me. He said, I'd love to. And he laid his hand on my shoulder like we had done on some people here tonight. And he started praying this eloquent prayer. And all of a sudden, he stopped praying in English. And he started praying in another language. And I thought, this kid knows Arabic. (laughs) I didn't know what he was doing. But you know what? I didn't care either because I started feeling raindrops hitting me in the face. And I look up, and there's not a cloud in the sky. I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. That was the Holy Spirit hitting me in the face. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the director, who had quoted from Joel 2.28 about the last days, walks up to me. And he said, I don't know who you are. He said, but I have a scripture for you. He said, it's Isaiah 61, verse 1. And when he said it, I did something that I'd never done before. I fell to my knees, and I repented of my sins. Nobody had ever told me to repent of my sins. But I fell to my knees, and I said, Jesus, could you ever forgive me? And you know what he did? He forgave me. Flat out forgave me. Don't ask me how I knew, but I knew I was a forgiven man. I've never doubted it one second since that moment. Not one. (laughs) Then they came over and they laid their hands on me and said, Jesus, break every chain in this man's life. I felt and heard the chains inside of me breaking. I felt the hand of God reach in and pull those chains out. Addictions were broken. Gone. Gone. 
not part of me anymore. Then they laid their hands on me. They said, Jesus, baptize him in the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know what they were talking about. But the Holy Spirit started gurgling inside of me and bubbling and gurgling and bubbling. I felt like I had a fire burning inside of me. God bless you. That's the problem of meeting in a basement, guys. (laughs) But I felt that fire burning and bubbling and burning and bubbling. And it got up to my mouth and I started speaking in an unknown tongue. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was Arabic. (laughs) Serious. I thought, my God, I've run into an Arabic church. (laughs) Too cool. And for an hour on my knees, I was worshiping and singing in the Spirit, prophesying and falling in love with Jesus. And I jumped up off my knees and I shouted, Jesus is alive! And I ran out in the middle of Main Street in Lakeland, Florida, stopping cars, and I started preaching right on the spot. (laughs) Jesus is alive! People were rolling up windows and locking doors. It was hilarious. One old lady, she must have been 100, 200 years old probably. She's driving. You can't see over her steering wheel. I was driving a big Cadillac. If that had ever hit me, I'd have gone right straight to heaven. <laughs> but I screeched her to a halt, and I ran around to her window, and I said, Jesus is real. She goes, I know I go to church. She took off. I found out years later from a lady named Corey Tinboom from Harlem, Holland. She said, going to church does not make you a Christian any more than if you sit in a garage, you're going to become a car. You make all the noises a car makes. Beep, beep, boom. You are still not a car. And you can go to church and make all the noises they make in church and hang on to your mom and dad's coattails and follow them through confirmation and all the things that they offer you in a church, but still never know the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the one who was anointed to preach good news and bring liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners. I didn't deserve that freedom, but I got it that night. I not only got freedom from prison, I got freedom from the prison of my own hurts, my own fears, and my own pain. And I might add pain that I created myself. Nobody did those sins but me. I was responsible for those sins. And I fully cried out to God, and God answered me from His holy hill. And set me free. And there's something else he did that night. He healed my broken heart. For you see, I don't know of anybody that I've ever met that's over 12 years old. And many I've met under 12 years old that's had broken hearts. But everybody faces broken hearts. Everybody. Because we're not all treated the way we want to be treated. We're not all handled the way we want to be handled. Many of us fall in love with love. And our hearts get broken because we're in love with love. And God wants to let you and I know that he has the power and the authority from the Father in heaven to heal the brokenhearted. And I want to close by sharing something with you. A lot of my problems that I had stemmed from shame. I had shame in me. And that night when I met Christ, He delivered me of my sin. But it took Him almost 14 years to deliver me from my shame. Because I didn't even realize that was a root in me. I didn't realize that was a stain inside of me. 
For you see, when I was 12 years old, I was molested. And that molestation set me on a path of bitterness and anger. And I've seen it over and over and over again. Darlene and I read in the Minneapolis Star Tribune about 23 years ago that the Midwest is the highest per capita for molestation and incest in the United States. And Minnesota is the number one state per capita. So my venture would say that one out of ten people in this room here tonight has been molested and touched the wrong way. God bless you. Am I going too long? I seem to be losing a few people here. Okay. Jesus died on the cross not only to forgive our sins but to cleanse our shame. Jesus took it all on himself that day. And he took the shame of the cross, the scripture says, and embraced it. And in embracing it, set us free that moment from shame for the rest of our life. And I cried out to the Lord. I said, God, what do I need to do? He said, you need to crucify the shame that's in you. And he asked me a question. He said, do you remember being molested? I had fully forgotten because I put it so far out of my memory, I didn't remember it. But Jesus knew. I'd never told my wife. I'd never told another living human being. The only two people on this earth that knew about it was me and the molester. And I said, God, how do I crucify it? He said, let me come. Let me come to the depth of your soul and let me wash you and make you clean. And I was listening to worship on a CD. It happened to be a vineyard worship CD. And it was so tender and it was so sweet. And I was on the living room floor and the Holy Spirit swept in the room. And the glory and the presence of Jesus came and he, I felt him reach down inside of me and scrub that stain till it was gone. Not only am I free from prison and free from guilt, tonight I stand before you free from shame. Hallelujah. Would you bear with me five more minutes? Okay, I, I, I got something I want to read to you. And um, it's a powerful chapter of Scripture. And if you have a Bible, you want to write this note down. Read Second Samuel chapter 9. But I just want to read just a few words of this to you. It says, One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And, and I might say, is there anyone in this room that God may show kindness to you for Jesus' sake? This is what David said to this servant. He summoned a man named Seba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Zeba? The king said. Yes, sir, I am. The king then asked, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Zeba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. He had been dropped when he was an infant running from the palace. The nurse dropped him, and he was crippled in both feet. Where is he, the king asked. In Lodibar, at the home of Makar, the son of Amiel. Lodibar, by the way, when you translate it, means house of welfare or the place of welfare where somebody could be cared for by another. And this young man was in the house of Amiel being cared for by others. 
So David sent for him and brought him from Makar's home. His name was Mephibosheth. Everybody say that with me. That's hard, wasn't it? I've never seen anybody pronounce it right. Mephibosheth. Could you imagine naming your son Mephibosheth? I mean, if, if any of you ever get married and have a baby, please don't name him that. That is one tough name. Could you imagine calling him for dinner? Mephibosheth. Mibby. Dinner's ready. So David sent for him and brought him from Makar's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Now, as I close, here's a young man named Weird. Weird name. Son of Jonathan, grandson of Saul. Shame. Shame all over him for Saul's sin. The house of Saul had shame written all over it because he had turned away from God and turned to the necromancers to get his answers instead of from God. God had to replace him as king with David. David had a covenant with Jonathan. And he said, whoever's in your family, I will make sure they're cared for. And he found out there was one son left. Royal, I'm done in two minutes. All right? I like Royal. He listens. <laughs> You're going to love this. And he said, who am I, a dead dog? How many of you know dead dogs are not nice? Dead dogs stink. Dogs are fine. I love dogs. I have a dog. But dead dogs in Israel were not pets. They were dead. They stunk. They rotted. Their carcasses smelled. This young man was saying, I'm a dead dog. Why would you show respect to me? Why would you honor me? I'm a dead dog. How many of you know his thought of himself was so low that he couldn't see up from his poverty? And all of a sudden, David says, I'm going to give you everything Saul lost. And not only that, you're going to eat at my table regularly. Do you know what an honor it is to eat at the king's table? Listen to me. You and I can eat at the king's table on a daily basis. We can sit with the king. His name is Jesus. It's not David. It's King Jesus. And King Jesus is saying to you, no longer do you have to be shamed. No longer do you have to live under the power of that shame. Yes, somebody's touched you. Yes, somebody's done something wrong to you. And listen to me. Guilt is what you feel when you've done something wrong. Shame is when you feel you are something wrong. And God wants to free some people here tonight from shame. Are you with me? You say, how do you know that? Because David went on and did everything he said he was going to do. He restored to Mephibosheth the house of Saul. All the property, all the wealth. And everything including sitting at his table daily. That's what I've been doing for 41 years. Didn't know I had access to it for the first 15. Didn't know I had access to the king's tables. I just struggled to get to the table. And it was freely given to me. Do you know what Mephibosheth's name translates as? Delivered from shame. That's why Jonathan named him Mephibosheth.
Jesus is here tonight. Not only to tell you that he can set somebody like me free. I think what it says to everyone in this room is, you're not so bad as to think that Jesus could not forgive you of your sins. And you're not so far gone that he can't cleanse you from shame. And that's what he wants to do here tonight. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask a very bold question. I'm going to ask anybody who knows that they're struggling with shame in their life. It doesn't have to be that you've been molested. It could be something else. It could be somebody that said to you, shame on you your whole life. That brings shame. That's a curse. And if you're in this room tonight and you want to be free from shame, I want you to stand up. Because Jesus is about to do a miracle. Wow. Jesus. Lord Jesus. We don't have enough room to call everybody up here. Look around, guys. You're not alone. Look look around. Look at the guts of those who are standing up right now. The Hebrew word for guts is chutzpah. It means guts. It means faith. And what God is going to do right now is He's going to reach down. He's going to start scrubbing your soul where the stains are. Some of you are going to feel it. You're literally going to feel the scrubbing like I did. But you're going to be free. Listen to me. Jesus died for your freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. They said it here tonight. They said it from the worship platform. Jesus is here tonight to set people free. I'm telling you, the same thing that was said the night I was set free is being said in this room tonight. Jesus set you free. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come right now and take every one of us that's standing and start scrubbing right now. Holy Spirit, come. Come right now. Reach down in our souls. Wash us. Scrub us clean. The stains that have been put upon us from others. Scrub us right now. There it comes. There it comes. Now I'm starting to feel it inside me. Ha! <laughs> Come on, Holy Spirit. Come on. Freedom. 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 Yeah. Jesus. Say it, Jesus. Scrub me. Right now. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen to me, whether you feel it or not, it doesn't matter. Jesus said he was going to do something here tonight, and he's doing it right now. Jesus, how lovely is your dwelling place. (laughs) Wow. Come on. More, Lord. More. Pour it out right now. Scrub us clean. Scrub us clean, Jesus. Set us free. Thank you, Jesus. Now, everyone that's standing, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm free. Say it, I'm free. I'm free. Ha! Now, everybody sit down for a minute. And I'm going to... I I usually close six times. I'm only going to close three. (laughs) But if you're here tonight and you never have given your life to Christ, I mean, I can't imagine coming to a basement like this and not knowing Jesus, but who knows? You may never have given your life to Christ. And I've never given my testimony in 41 years. I'm guessing close to 7,000 times where I have not given the opportunity for those who heard it to meet the Jesus that set me free. So everybody bow your head just for a minute.
If you're here tonight and you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ and you want to give your life to Jesus right now, I want you to raise your hand and say, I want to give my life to Jesus right now. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, I see it. Anyone else? This is not an auction. This is just a chance to meet Jesus. Okay, now put your hands down. Is there anyone here tonight who has met Jesus, but you've stepped away from Him, and you know you're not walking with Him the way you want to, and you know the way He wants you to? I want you to raise your hand and say, Pray for me, Bill. Look all over the room. Again, you're not alone. Awesome. Awesome. All right, you don't have to stand up, but everybody pray with me. Cover all of those who raise their hands with the love of Jesus. And say this with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Set me free. Bring me home to you. I want to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome home. (laughs) This is what you were created for. This is what you were born for. You have a destiny. I've been to 27 countries. I have six felony convictions. I'm not even supposed to have a passport. Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed. Amen? (laughs) Yes, Jesus. Now, I know there's some other people here tonight that would like to be prayed for, and and we're wide open. Uh, Prayer team, whoever's on the prayer team, would you come up here with me? And if you need ongoing prayer... I want you to stay down here. If you don't need ongoing prayer or somebody to pray for you, you scoot on up to the second level. Besides that, I think Jesus wants to take you higher anyway. (laughs) Too cool, huh? All right, so got anything else to add, Bob? Thank you so much, Bill. And um, if you're a new person, I would still like to meet with you Upstairs, So I'm going to go up there right now and um, wait and see who comes. And I, I just feel there's a grace, especially for the healing of hearts, the healing of broken hearts. So um, Bill and others who, who are going to be praying for you guys, just, just come and believe that God's going to touch. Psalm 34:18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And... If you want to also get together, I would say guys with guys and girls with girls, we can be vulnerable with one another. Any area where there might be shame that we want to talk about and and just encourage, confess, guys with guys, girls with girls, and prayer for healing of the heart, healing of the emotions. God loves to heal and make us whole. And then come here if you want to for these the prayer ministers. want to add something. Um, I've heard Bill Davis give his testimony before. This is the first time I've heard him mention the molestation. And I just want to honor your vulnerability in that and your willingness to share that because that's huge. And I just want to charge you that are here to at some point, as the Lord leads you, take that step if you have not shared of your experience and you need prayer and you need healing with that. I charge you to to be vulnerable to confess that to talk to a pastor i'm not saying post it on facebook of course but just say be be wise and talk to someone because you're as sick as your secrets and if you want to see the fullness and see that next level um, of healing in your life and influence and authority in christ take that step the way bill has taken that step but we honor you bill in sharing that thank you so much for sharing your whole story and including that as well. And so if that part of your life uh, your life has something like that included as well, do take that step and talk to someone. All right, bless you guys. Go ahead and 
um, pray with someone. Guys with guys, like Bob said, girls with girls. Take that time now to finish up the night that way. Dan, do you have something you want to say? Okay. The prayer team's up here. If you have a need for prayer for anything, we're here and available. Please make use of that. Bless you guys.